0: We choose to come at the impossible. We choose to overcome the impossible. We choose to step into the impossible. Because sometimes if things are difficult, it can take some time. If it takes impossible, it might take a little bit longer, but we've got to go there. And whether we get there ourselves or whether we have to have a life or someone else who comes after us to get there, we all need to live in a world free from slavery. We all need to see an end to this heinous crime and so that we can actually create a better world for tomorrow than the world that we've been given.
1: Welcome to The Simple Brand Podcast, the show dedicated to helping you create simple experiences for your customers and for your team members. Each week we're bringing you amazing interviews with business leaders and authors who will teach you how to differentiate your business with the one thing your customers need the most, simplicity. Your customers live in a complex world. Let's make it simple. Now, here's your host, Matt Lyles.
2: On the Simple Brand Podcast, we shine the spotlight on a lot of authors, business leaders, and thought leaders who have lessons to help you learn how to provide simple experiences to your customers and to your people. But Throughout the month of November, we're also shining the spotlight on a number of nonprofit organizations who are doing some really significant work in the world. Now these organizations focus on a variety of different needs. So my goal, my hope is that you learn about some needs in the world that you probably weren't aware of before and that you learn how you can help make a difference with these organizations. My guest this week in the November nonprofit series is Tim Nelson, CEO of Hope for Justice. Hope for Justice is a global organization that works to bring an end to modern slavery by preventing exploitation, rescuing victims, restoring lives, and reforming society. Tim and I discuss some disheartening and shocking information about slavery. You'll find out that there's a lot more to slavery than sex trafficking. And you'll hear the surprising places where it's happening. While it happens around the globe, it also happens right in your backyard. But you'll also hear the positive difference that Hope for Justice is making in the world to free and restore slavery victims and to advocate for more awareness of how and where we can all play a part in ending slavery. So here it is. Here's my interview with Tim Nelson to talk about hope for justice. Hi, Tim. How are you? Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks so much, Matt. I'm doing really well. Excellent. Well, it is nice to meet you. Nice to see you. I think you are my second guest that is actually across the pond.
0: Oh, it's a powerful thing to be able to be on the connection and podcast. And we're not in the same country. We can still talk to each other. It's amazing what technology can do.
2: It really is. Well, I think technology can provide a lot of distractions and detriments in our world, but there's a lot of positives that come from technology too. Yeah, definitely. So Tim, hope for justice. I first learned about hope for justice a little over a year ago when I met Drew Colley in Nashville, Tennessee, and he has educated me so much on what y'all do but i'd love for other people to understand hope for justice so can you explain hope for justice to me and what's your mission
0: yeah no matt it's super simple that we want to live in a world free from slavery the way that we're going to do that is we're going to do that by preventing exploitation we're going to rescue victims restore lives and reform society because the, the impact of what we want to bring is not just in the global south or, or developing countries, but we want to bring them to, to countries like the United States and places like Nashville and, and areas where you know we're hearing stories of individuals who are held against their will and we get the opportunity to see them set free.
2: That is amazing. And it's fantastic work. And it's interesting to me because sometimes we hear about it. We know that it exists, but I don't think people pay enough attention to really understand how much slavery and how much trafficking is happening, not just in the world, but essentially in our own backyard.
0: Yeah, that's right. I mean, to so many people there, they're shocked to find out that the estimates are there are 40.3 million people who are held in slavery all over the world that's more people than have been enslaved at any point in time in history. And those individuals who are held against their will are held in many different types of modern day slavery and human trafficking. There's those individuals who are held in sexual exploitation, forced into prostitution against their will, beaten and coerced into it. Those people who are in labour trafficking, where they're working in businesses, in agricultural settings, in manufacturing settings. Um, And there are those people who are held In domestic servitude, not allowed to leave homes held for decades, um, beaten and and coerced into situations where they're not able to leave. And in some parts of the world, we see organ harvesting, where individuals are are taken for the use of their organs. Um, It's really brutal, and it it tends to occur in places where there isn't an organ donation scheme. But really, the, the sad reality is, although we're in In a modern culture, and we've got so much to be proud of in the world that we live in, the reality is so many people, their world experience is very, very different to ours.
2: Yeah. And I think that there's so many downstream impacts to that, whether it's the victims, families, or, and really the victims themselves. This is just shocking to me because at least in the US, when we hear about human slavery, when we hear about human trafficking, we tend to only think about Sex trafficking. But you mentioned forced labor, you mentioned domestic servitude, organ harvesting. I'm curious, what would you say is the estimated percentage among those types of slavery? Well,
0: organ harvesting is, is quite minimal across the world, thankfully. Um, but for the other three types of human trafficking, modern-day slavery, they're roughly a third, a third, and a third. The reality for labor trafficking is most people don't realize it, but somewhere in the region of 70 to 80% of all businesses within their supply chain have some form of slavery happening, whether it's in the United States or globally. Um, most people don't realize how easily it gets into our society. And that's everything from, most people will have their cell phone sitting on their desk today, and but they don't realize that for the battery within your cell phone, it uses cobalt. And most of the world's cobalt is mined in places like the Democratic Republic of Congo by children and forced labor. Most people don't realize that the cotton um, that is picked primarily in Uzbekistan, uh, which is the largest cotton producer globally, um, is actually picked by slaves. This goes on from car tires in parts of West Africa through to mica, which is found in shimmer makeup that women and men will use from time to time. Even just the pearlescent effect on vehicles, that paint is found from mica that primarily is mined in places like Judekistan by children. There's lots and lots of occurrences. And the more that I travel internationally and that our team are getting a really great handle on this, we realise how just endemic modern day slavery human trafficking is globally and how much, you know, even before breakfast, the products and services that you've used Will have touched someone's life in a way that we know that they will have been either labor trafficking or some form of um, exploitation,
2: and that's really, really difficult to hear. You know, when we think of all the products that we buy and use and consume and wear, how there's a strong chance that slavery and human trafficking and forced labor went into the creation of that product. And now I understand, I get it, especially with major global brands, they aren't the ones that are always manufacturing and making product. There's a long supply chain issue. And my assumption is that especially for the big names, the major global brands, they literally do not want slavery to be a part of their supply chain. But what can they do to ensure that that doesn't happen?
0: Well, it's interesting because what we say is what makes a business a good or bad business is not whether or not they've got human trafficking or modern day slavery, it's whether they're prepared to look and what will they do when they find it. In some parts of the world, uh, like in England or now moving into Germany and Australia, They require companies to produce a modern day slavery statement, which basically just describes what the company is doing to try and tackle these issues. We know that there are many companies that are complicit within having slavery within their supply chain. They know, they've been, they understand the products and services that they're getting, the price that they're paying is at a rate where it cannot be anything other than people not being paid a fair price. And there are those companies where they're not complicit, but they've never looked. And then there are those companies that have looked, but maybe not find the issue before. And I think it's an uncomfortable truth for most businesses because, you know, it's, it's very easy to look at price and very easy to look at quality when you're a business who is a product or service. It's much more complicated when you start to ask those individual businesses what level of responsibility they have. For the individuals who make their products, at Hope for Justice, we've got a, an initiative called Slave Free Alliance that works with major multinational businesses. And you know, just one of our members I was with last week has over seventy thousand suppliers in their first tier supply chain. So even the complexity of having so many companies that are supplying into them and, and so much complex supply chains that spread all over the world, it can be difficult to know where to start. But it's clear we don't want people to boil the ocean. We want people to actually focus on where the biggest risks are. That might be by commodity group. That might be by location. But at any stage, we would like businesses to want to take this seriously. We know that a potential PR challenge or a public relations challenge that might hit companies if something came out to say that they were using products that were made by slaves. But the reality is we don't want the stick to be the reason why people don't get involved. We want people to get involved because actually they think it's the right thing to do. We want people to want to have a supply chain that's free from any form of slavery. But it does require a bit of work, and it does require actually a certain level of tenacity to want to step up and ask the difficult questions and deal with that uncomfortable truth.
2: Yeah, absolutely right. When you think about the companies of this size that have this large of a supply chain structure, these are usually global companies or companies that are aspiring to be global and want to serve more and more of the world. And as you grow and as you serve more and more of the world, you have to be willing to understand what's happening in that in that world, in that geographic area where you're now serving.
0: That's completely correct. I wouldn't just say, though, it's the biggest companies, because even the smaller companies, they've got the ability to be agile and to do things differently. There's a number of brands which have emerged recently where actually they're making a USP or unique selling point of what they do is the fact that they have really taken a focus on this to ensure that they don't have any form of slavery within their supply chain. And it gives them a competitive advantage and it gives them a narrative that they can say and speak to people. And ultimately, I would hope that more people would want to buy products from companies are living in an ethical way. The reality for the biggest businesses is they can shoulder the most and that they can do the most. And if they do make a small change in their supply chains, it can have a massive impact in millions of people's lives all over the globe.
2: Yeah, definitely. Absolutely right. So I'm curious, you mentioned earlier about geographic locations. So I'd love to know, are there certain geographic locations where you're seeing slavery versus other geographic areas? Are there other geographic locations where it would surprise us to know that it's happening there?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think for most people who are listening, they can imagine that places like Southeast Asia would have complex issues around slavery. They would imagine that, you know, in places like Africa and and in Asia, that there are these issues. But I think it would surprise most people to know that this is going on on the doorstep. I can say without a shadow of doubt that there are significant numbers of cases of individuals who are held in various forms of human trafficking in America. You know, you only have to look at the incidences of calls that have been made to the National Helpline about this issue, and you realise that it's in every state, it's in every county that we see across the United States issues popping up. And that might be those people who are held in sexual exploitation. That tends to be the most common or the most known area around slavery. But when you dig into who are the people who are harvesting these crops on an ad hoc basis, or where are the people who are doing these jobs at minimum wage that no one wants to do, you start to realize that actually, how are they building them? How are they bringing those individuals together? And it's very easy for a recruitment company to come in and to, and to have slaves in circumstances that you wouldn't even realize because they're so far removed from the end product that you see. But I think in the Western world, in America, in, in the UK, in Europe, uh, Australia, there's a mindset that people have to say, we wouldn't tolerate this happening but i think it's a blind eye that's being turned by so many to an issue that many had thought had gone a long way a long time ago
2: why do you think there is such a blind eye to it do you think it's because it would just shock us to know that it's actually happening so so that we don't believe that it's happening or is it something else it's
0: complicated i think there's a lot of elements to it i think there are there's a point of the world has so many complex problems and quite often you can have almost a sense of fatigue because you hear about so many problems that exist, whether that's hunger or a lack of water or maybe some issues around security and, and problems that it can occur. There could be wars and rumours of wars and, and lots of things happening. But I think when something like this comes along, it's not until you realise that these, these children, these men and women they are someone's daughter. They are someone's son. They are someone's cousin, niece, nephew, grandchild. What? It's not until you engage at that level. And I know when we started, uh, one of the things that shocked me, um, we set up a, our first investigative hub. And in our first year, the youngest victim that we rescued from sexual exploitation was just three months old. Wow. And I don't think you can really get an understanding of how shocking that is. Until you see a three month old, there's no part in my life where I'd ever want to harm that that child ever because they're just so beautiful and so perfect. But there are individuals who are quite willing to use whatever costs individuals to make whatever profit they can. And it's just wrong. And I think we've got to live in a world where we want to see a change to that. It requires us to do something because if they were our daughter or our son we would do something about it. If there were someone related to us, we would go to the nth degree to try and stop this from happening. But the sad reality is that they are someone's daughter, someone's son, and we do need to do that for them because there are many people who cannot do it for themselves.
2: That's right. And my assumption, it seems like at least a good percentage of the time the people that are trafficked are very vulnerable and have vulnerable families that may not have the means to be able to go to that nth degree to find them.
0: Yeah, I think that's completely correct. If it's a child, I think somewhere in the region of America, one in six runaways ends up going into some form of exploitation or human trafficking. And I, I think, you know, you've only got to look at the drivers for this. And and there are complexities around this. It could be mental health issues. It could be issues of poverty. um, There could be violence that leads people to want to run away, or it could be just something social that's happened. We know that there is a serious and organized crime element of this that is constantly driving to want to exploit individuals. And I think the statistics are in America that one in 10 men will use a prostitute at some point in time in their life. And there just aren't the number of women who want to go into prostitution. Whether you think that's right or wrong, it just then leads to a demand that then those individuals who are in that industry look to try and find individuals for that supply. And that's where sexual exploitation can come through. That's where children are groomed and young people are groomed through the sex industry. And it's a sad reality that people don't care about people to the level that they should. And it needs to have a real wake-up call to so many individuals to take responsibility in these areas.
2: That is so devastating to hear. And you're right that there does need to be a wake-up call. Now, you mentioned about a rescue operation just a moment ago. And I got to tell you, when I first started learning about Hope for Justice, I thought that much of your work was around the awareness and advocacy related to Slavery and slave victims, but you actually provide significant work on actual rescue operations for those held in slavery. Can you talk to me about that? Yeah, I certainly
0: can. As I said up front, you know, one of the four key areas that we focus on is rescue. A rescue isn't just an event, it's a process. And for so many individuals, we need to be able to find them. And we work with law enforcement to enable that to happen. Um, we have really great relationships across the board uh, because our, our team are drawn from really prestigious individuals from the former FBI, CIA, those individuals who've had a law enforcement background and those individuals who carry um, PI licenses so that they're able to investigate effectively and so that that evidence can be used as kind of information within the court cases that we want to see prosecutions happen. I think By working in partnership and collaboration with the police, we can effectively do a lot of the heavy lifting and we can enable a lot more individuals to be found. It's a sad reality that we have to do that. But, you know, for those individuals whose children are in a place of vulnerability and and find that they need help and, and need someone to go and find them, You want to be able to have a team like we have to be able to be on the ground and supporting them. And it's a real phenomenal thing when you see individuals who are are brought back to their families. Just this last year, we had across our program, we had over 900 individual children who were brought back to their mums and dads. And if you see the faces of one of these families, you would be absolutely shocked. I mean, one of our programs is in Ethiopia. And at the end of 2019, just before the pandemic, I took a team to go and travel to Tanzania and climb Mount Kilimanjaro to raise funds for Hope for Justice. But when we were wanting to travel through, we stopped off at one of our programs in Ethiopia. And I had the amazing privilege when we'd been there about 15 minutes of seeing a father being reunited with his 11-year-old daughter. Hadn't seen her for six months. And I can tell you, once you've seen it, the joy, kind of effervescence of excitement on the child's face, you'd walk through walls to make it happen. In places that we've had seen in in the last few years of amazing things happening, you know, where we've had individual families where they've had funeral services that have been taking place for the children, and we've been able to bring the child back after that's happened. And, you know, you, you can only imagine that which the child is thought to be lost and you bring them back. What joy that brings, and unmerited, you know, joy, ecstatic joy that just overflows. It brings hope to circumstances. So whether it's in, in Africa, Asia, or in the United States, we want to make sure that we are custodians of that. And that's where the rescue element of what we want to try and do, that's where the restoration process, where we want to rebuild their lives and put them back into families and Family-based care—that's where their families haven't been complicit within the issue, but where we we're able to put them back. We have such a high success rate for boys and girls being there. We stay with them and, and help them for the two years after reintegration, and we—you know—we've got a ninety-two percent success rate with girls and an eighty-eight percent success rate with boys, and that's phenomenally high in this place because there are drivers which led them to that place, but. We love to see individuals set free. So I can tell you of countless stories that we've had both across the globe and in the United States, but every single one is a phenomenal story and they don't have to be children. Uh, I think our our oldest victim that we rescued um, was a lady in her seventies that we rescued in Los Angeles and she'd been held for 33 years as a domestic slave.
2: Oh my goodness. And she was held in Los Angeles.
0: Yeah, and she spoke a rare form of Filipino. She got sick. The traffickers brought her to the hospital. The nurse just happened to have had training by us on the issue, was able to understand and identify it. She spoke a rare form of Filipino. And the next day, um, we were able to work with the FBI in Los Angeles and see that lady find freedom 33 years after being held as a domestic slave. I don't know where you were 33 years ago. But it's a long time when you think back to where that is. And and the fact that we can bring hope, the fact that we can bring freedom like that, I just want to see more of it happen all over the globe. And thankfully, we've had so many generous people stand with us and support our work and enable us to do so much. But the job is not done, not far from being done. And we need to see a change. We need to see a step change and a shift in this issue and see the numbers turn around. Because for those 40.3 million that are estimated, if I added up all the sum total internationally from all the work of all the NGOs working in this field, there was just over 118,000 individuals that were set free last year. So we've got a long way to go and a lot more work that needs to be done.
2: Absolutely. So there's that number of trying to rescue them out of slavery, but then there's also the number of trying to prevent them prevent anyone from being uh, captured kidnapped and then forced into slavery
0: yeah we need to prevent it because there's no point in pulling people out of the river we need to go upstream and find out who's chucking them in and the prevention work that we do looks different in every country that we're operating in in places like in Africa, the work that we do there work involves community conversations. We've got nearly 6,000 women who are in self-help groups that meet in groups of 12 to help save money together. Their families don't get debt bonded when something goes wrong. We try and provide information so that they can be aware of the problems and spot the signs of, of how this could occur so that their villages don't end up with individual traffickers coming through and selling the, the, the tale of a better life somewhere else. The reality is they're they're just trying to lure people into all forms of slavery. So we, we try and do that prevention work and, and that's where we we train individuals, we work with businesses and multinational corporations to help root it out. And, and a lot of that can help those businesses to become fortresses to modern slavery and human trafficking. So it doesn't happen on their watch.
2: Well, that's right. And it takes a figurative village. And sometimes, to your point, it can take a literal village as well. But having those alliances, having the NGOs, having the alliances of all the companies to help ensure that they do the due diligence upstream to prevent it from happening, like that's so key.
0: Absolutely. But I think everyone's got a part that they can play. And I think it's when you start to realize that this isn't someone else's issue. This is all of our issues. And it's going to take all of us to do this. I know whenever I was told about this issue initially, I was challenged that maybe if I didn't do something, that there were people in my city that I, I live in in England that were, would not find freedom. And I know whenever we started our investigative hub in my city, and we rescued 110 victims in the first year it really showed me that actually it just takes people to not cry about this issue, but to take action and that action can lead to a movement and that movement is unstoppable and we can completely change the status quo. We can reach out and make a bigger difference. And people are always trying to tell us that what we're trying to do is impossible, You know that the issue of, of slavery has existed for so long and who are you to be able to address it? But we choose to greet the words of impossible with the words that Muhammad Ali spoke That impossible is just a big word thrown around by small-minded men who find it easier to live in a world they've been given than the power they have to change it. That impossible is nothing. Impossible is temporary. And impossible is just a dare.
2: It is. Impossible is a dare. Wasn't that the title of Ben Cooley's book, who was the former CEO and the founder?
0: Yeah, I mean, I've been on this journey with Ben since the beginning. We we sat on the founding board and, and ultimately that's the kind of essence of who we are. We choose to come at the impossible. We choose to overcome the impossible. We choose to step into the impossible. Because sometimes if things are difficult, it can take some time. If it takes impossible, it might take a little bit longer, but we've got to go there. And whether we get there ourselves or whether we have to have a life or someone else who comes after us to get there, we all need to live in a world free from slavery. We all need to see an end to this heinous crime and so that we can actually create a better world for tomorrow than the world that we've been given.
2: That's it. And that's how you become unstoppable. Tim, earlier you mentioned about people have a blind eye. A lot of the times it's because they're fatigued, fatigued by hearing so many other forms and stories on bad news. And I want to focus on fatigue for just a moment. And I have a question for you. You're welcome to not answer or to just share whatever you can. I'm curious about you. I'm curious about Tim Nelson and your staff. Do you ever get fatigued from seeing all of these stories and seeing all of these people through your experiences?
0: It's really difficult. The the subject that we're talking about today is a dark, dark issue. And the difficulty of traveling the world and seeing this issue is you probably get to see the worst of humanity. But alongside the worst of humanity, you actually get to see the best of humanity. I've heard it said that where the darkness is, the light shines ever brighter. That's right. And you get to see the the heart and the the life that people bring in this area. Um, I talk about every day being complex. I do think that I tend to walk from one difficult situation to another difficult situation and, and try to remain positive as we go through it. I don't want to uh, appear sub, superhuman or anything. I think the reality is for all of our staff, we're in complex circumstances. And, you know, we've had our lives of individuals on our team threatened we've had uh, real forces of threat brought on the organization because what we're trying to do is we're trying to push against the tide of where this slavery is happening i think the the struggle i see is when we know that there are more people who need helping what i go to bed thinking about is how are we going to do that if it's a lack of resources and we need help to to be enable us to to do this if it's a lack of staff or if it's a door opening of opportunity that we couldn't open ourselves those are the things I really wrestle with, because you know most people would say, "Hey, I don't want modern slavery to exist." It's a very different thing. Whenever someone says, "I'm actually going to be a part of helping to change it," I'd use the, the football analogy. I'll I'll use American football for for this time rather than talking about soccer. Thank but, you. Um, but but from an American football perspective, there are a lot of people who support NFL. There are a lot of people in the U.S., a lot of people who support it internationally. Some people will support it and watch an odd game. There'll be those individual people who identify as a fan of a particular team. And I'm, I'm not here to, to talk about colors or, or which cities that got the best team this year or got the best draft pick or anything like that. But there's some of those fans that will go one step further and start to buy the shirts. Um, there's another group of people who go that bit further and they they go to an occasional game. There are those people who go further than that and they go to every game. But there's a very big difference between those people and the players on the field. And what we would encourage everybody is to not be a bystander to this happening in our generation, that actually we have the power to make a difference. If we start to realize that our everyday actions can bring light to this issue, can change the narrative, can change the focus, can help us find individuals and I have had the privilege of meeting with people who've opened up doors of opportunity from a funding perspective. And we've been able to use that money and go back to them and report on the freedom that they've been able to see. And we use this, this freedom wall in our offices, which is made up of padlocks that, that have the name and the year of the individuals who get rescued. It's a real sight to see. But I know that some people have the ability to be a key to someone else's freedom But like most people, they've been to big buildings before, and there's always someone in a big building who, sometimes it's the janitor or it's the security staff, that they've got a key that opens every door in the building. And uh, I would call them master keys to freedom. Some people who are even listening to this today have the opportunity to do something to change the business that they're a part of or to engage to do something that may galvanize support or fundraising for what we're trying to do at Hope for Justice. And I just hope what at whatever level we've spoken on today, it leaves an indelible mark on people that they can never erase the fact that they can do something on this issue, that they have the power to change someone else's life and to end slavery for that individual for good.
2: Wow! Wow! Thank you, Tim. That that was I love the analogy that you used around you know football fans and football teams. And then as I heard you say it, I kind of thought to myself, the field itself is much larger than people think. And at some level, I think everyone has an opportunity to be a player on that field. Everyone can play some part. So I'm curious, what resources does Hope for Justice need from various groups? And how can people play on the field?
0: So I'd, I'd start in the the basic level. Everyone has the opportunity to go on our website and to find out more information. It would be remiss of me because there have been people who've gone on our website, found out about the issue a bit more, got more information and more understanding, and they've ended up calling our offices and it's led to people finding freedom. So the very, very basic level, everyone today can go on hopeforjustice.org and find out more information. If people want to go that step further, then I'd encourage people to do something in their world that actually makes a difference on this issue. So it could be a fundraising event to raise money. It could be actually an awareness event that they want to do to tell people about their work. It could be about looking to go much further and and kind of seeing what their company can do about this issue. You know, all of us are involved in, in connecting with companies, whether it's buying products or services from them, but we can start to ask different questions when we know more information. You know, the knowledge that we can get is powerful. And I would encourage across the board as, you know, as we come to the end of the year, it's a time where a lot of people reflect on what they can, not just what they can get, but what they can give. And I know there's an amazing culture of generosity across America, and I would encourage everybody to do something whether it's to stand with us and give a monthly regular donation or whether people want to give something that is a significant one-off donation. It costs around $500 for us to take a child from a place of exploitation, look after them, give them trauma-informed care, the right level of medical catch-up care, look at their educational needs, trace out their family, be able to place them back into their family or foster families and look after them for two years. I know there are individuals who are listening to this that $500 might be a very little amount of money, but actually it can change that child's life forever. And I'd encourage at whatever level, I don't want anyone to feel condemned. If they can only just go on our website and read, that will be great. We want to try and make sure that we're, we're engaging with everybody and that everyone is taking action it's too easy to sit back and allow this to be someone else's issue or someone else can deal with this or they've got a, Everyone's got a busy world and the time that we have is limited. But I'd encourage you, if you can help the least, the last and the lost, if you can go and pursue seeing what you can do, you can change absolutely someone's life or multiple people's lives. I'm reminded of a, a young lady called Lindsay Yoda, who heard about this issue and at the age of fourteen, walked three hundred miles to Nashville to raise money for Hope for Justice. Three hundred miles at the age of fourteen—it almost shamed me. About what more can I do? If a fourteen-year-old can do this, that's right. What excuses do we have? What things or barriers are we putting in the way ourselves? Because we're all busy. We've all got our own lives going on. But when we start to realize that it's not about what we can get, it's about what we can give. It's how we can use our time, our treasure, and our talents. It's about the, the impact that we can bring in this area. We can see a systematic shift in everything that we're doing.
2: And with just a little bit of time, sometimes a little bit of time, sometimes a little bit of money, the impact that we can provide from that is exponentially much larger than if we were to consume or spend that on ourselves. Absolutely. I mean, I I think of one girl who a young lady heard about at a
0: talk of 20 people heard about this issue. And she went back to her boss, spoke to his boss, spoke to his boss, and ended up leading for the company doing a company event to raise funds for Hope for Justice. About seven years ago, I got invited to go and speak at that company. They raised more money for Hope for Justice than they'd ever done for another charity before because the team got really engaged together on this issue. But from speaking on this issue, what ended up happening was that one of the board members from a multinational corporation who heard about this wanted to travel out and see our program in Cambodia, see the lives of the individual girls that were being restored. And that has led to that one company now starting to make much more of a significant impact in about 10 countries that they're sourcing for internationally. They've stepped up their game to try and stamp this out. But it wouldn't have happened unless that lady had listened to the talk and thought, you know, what can I do about this? had got passionate about wanting to make a difference. And sometimes all it takes is a dollop of passion. It takes someone to get that tenacity to want to do something. If you don't mind me saying, to get off our blessed assurance and actually do something, to to realise that that culture that wants us to sit down on the couch and absorb television to another level, it can whittle away the the time that we have and the energy that we have. But that actually, if we can do something significant, we can plan to be the, the change that so many individuals need.
2: Yeah. And to go back to what you were saying earlier, when you had so many people telling you that this is impossible, you're not going to make a difference. If you make a difference in one person's life and then they go on to make a difference in somebody else's life and so on, you're making a difference. It's happening.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And people share yeah. that starfish analogy all the time. I don't know if you know that one where, you know, someone's on a beach and the, the beach is flooded with star starfish and, and someone comes up to the man who's throwing back starfish into the water. And he comments back, what are you doing this for? You know, you're not going to be able to save all of these individuals. And you get the one man who's throwing the starfish yeah. back going, yeah, but it did help that one. I think at Hope for Justice, we look at that and we think, well, that's probably a bit naive. Someone needs to do a bit more analysis to work out why starfish are coming up on the beach and try and stop it happening for good. What are the processes and systems? What are the engagements that we need to do? In the short term, somebody needs to go and get themselves a JCB digger and dig up every single starfish and put them back into the water. Let's pull together and get teams of people activated to enable this to be systematic change. Because Hope for Justice is very different to any other charity. Do we actually want to end this and put ourselves out of a job? We're not about perpetuating this. I want to get on with the rest of my life and look back on the years where slavery did exist, and to be delighted at the part that we could play in ending it. I don't want to be in a sad reality that we find ourselves in, where this is bigger than it's ever been. We need to do something, and we need individuals to stand with us.
2: And that's the goal is to work yourself out of a job. Absolutely.: Tim, last question for you. If you were to create a five-song soundtrack for "Hope for Justice?" what songs would you include?
0: I've told you that I have to try and stay optimistic in everything that we're doing. Right. I'll walk you through each one and I'll tell you why. The first song I would do would be by Louis Armstrong, What a Wonderful World. I think when you see the potential that's out there, you realize that actually it is a wonderful world and we have a power to make it even more so wonderful. The second song I love is Lovely Day by Bill Withers. It's almost like it's a testament over what the day is going to be and how we can make it. Um, I've got a friend of mine who I met a good number of years before she was famous, um, Natasha Bedingfield, and she wrote a song called Unwritten. I had the privilege of knowing her before that happened. You know, she's gone off with her career and and done great things. But I, I, I still reflect on that unwritten song that we have the power to rewrite what the future will look like. There's a song by Andrew Day called Rise Up. And it almost becomes an anthem that I listen to over and over and over again. Because if you start to repeat something, it gets on you and in you. It starts to become something as a mantra that you think, I can achieve this. I am going to rise up. And the last one, because I come from Ireland, I couldn't leave a U2 song not in there. So I wanted to put Beautiful Day in. There you go. Um, uh, Bono would be proud. Um, but... It is a beautiful day. And it's a beautiful day when we all take action in this and together realize the potential we have to make a difference.
2: Absolutely. I I love that list. It's interesting to me, and we'll hear this later on, Bill Withers has actually made it twice into these November nonprofit episodes. So yeah, Bill Withers always has really great positive messages. But when we think about so much of what's going on in the world with slavery and trafficking, it's dark. It's dark really, really dark, really evil, really depressing, really devastating. But when you see the impact that Hope for Justice is making in these people's lives, and when you see the positiveness that's coming from that, you can't help but be inspired and see that it is a beautiful day. It is a lovely day, and it is a wonderful world.
0: Absolutely. And I just thank you for being on today and the questions and enabling us to have a voice and give that voice to the voiceless because it is a truly wonderful world when we work together and make a difference. And And I know a lot of those songs may be known to some, if not all of you, I'd encourage you to go and listen to them because sometimes even music can be dark sometimes. And I don't want people to wallow in self-pity, but I do want people to see the power they have, the optimism we have that we can change this and that actually we can live in a world free from slavery.
2: Yeah. It can be that way. Tim, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for giving a voice to the voiceless and for sharing this story.
0: Yeah, thank you so much.
2: I hope you enjoyed my discussion with Tim Nelson. So go learn more at hopeforjustice.org. You'll find more surprising stats and information around human trafficking. You'll find inspirational stories about individuals that Hope for Justice has helped rescue. And most importantly, You'll find ways for you to get involved to help spread their mission. And this was the last episode in the current series of Simple Brand November Nonprofits. If you enjoyed these types of interviews, you may enjoy my regular Simple Brand episodes. Each week, I talk with authors and business leaders to discuss lessons around creating the one thing that your customers and your team members need the most from you, simplicity. So go ahead and subscribe and you'll automatically get all new episodes as soon as they're live. Until then, keep it simple.
1: Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Simple Brand Podcast. Want to make your listening experience simple and automatically receive each new episode? Visit our website, simplebrandpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. If you're finding value from the Simple Brand Podcast, leave us a rating or review. That helps us get the show to the ears of the people who need it most. Be sure to catch Matt right here next week. Same Matt time, same Matt channel. Until then, keep it simple.